On Fairway Roland, Joe House and Nathan Hubbard are joined by a rotating cast of Ringer and Golf World personalities to break down the latest in golf headlines and news. They also delve into the world of golf gambling. Check out Fairway Roland on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Coming up on New York, New York, I thought it was going to be the perfect weekend. The Yankees swept the White Sox. My spirit animal, Phil Mickelson, won the PGA. And then the Knicks ripped my heart out. Ugh! Ugh! We have a lot more reaction to game one of this series. We'll have reaction to the Nets taking care of business against the Celtics. Justin Termini from SiriusXM is going to join us. Maria Marino, Hoops Junkie from SNY is going to join us. We got a ton of voicemails. We have a programming update for this week. You want to catch that? You want to check it out? New York, New York. It's coming up next. Alrighty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in episode 22, a jam-packed episode 22 of New York, New York, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network with yours truly, John Jastrzemski. And I thought it was going to be the perfect weekend for yours truly. I really did. I thought it was going to be the perfect weekend. Yankees sweep the White Sox. Awesome. My dude, my spirit animal, Phil Mickelson wins the PGA Championship. I got all these positive vibes working in my favor. And then I sit down and watch the Knickerbocker game where if you were at Madison Square Garden, from the minute this game got going, you could feel the sense of intensity. And it was just a flat-out electric scene from start to finish. It was a classic. It was... A roller coaster ride that ended in hideous, disgusting, gut-wrenching fashion. As a Trey Young silencer late is the difference in the game, and Atlanta wins by the score of 107 to 105. And look, the way this game was shaping up early, it looked like the Knicks in the first quarter of this game were dead and buried. The bench mob saved them. Burks, who we'll get to in a little bit quickly, who I thought had a terrific second quarter. Even Obi Toppin stepped up and made some plays. And all in all, when the Knicks went into the locker room, down two points, I thought they were in great shape in this game. The Knicks had an opportunity 
in the third quarter to go for the throat. That was when you had the electric R.J. Barrett dunk. He did nothing in the first half, came alive in the third quarter. Randall did nothing basically this entire game. But the Knicks were up by about, I want to say, six, seven points. And they had a chance to really grow the lead right at the end of the third quarter. Did not happen. In fact, it went the other way. And one of the key moments in this game that I would circle is the stretch at the end of the third quarter where Atlanta took what could have been a seven or an eight-point deficit. And all of a sudden, they turned this game into a two-point game. I thought that was a huge stretch in this game. And when Williams went off and hit a couple of shots, Bonjanovic went off and hit a couple of shots, I looked up. 73-66 is the exact moment I had jotted down in my head. A little muscle memory right there. Thought the Knicks, bare minimum, should have been up by 6-7 going into the fourth quarter. Instead, they're up two going into the fourth quarter. And it made a world of difference in this game. Then you get to the fourth quarter. And on a night where R.J. Barrett was not great, on a night where Julius Randle was awful, who was the Nick that was basically willing them with big shot after big shot? And I thought it was going to be enough to go and win them the game. Alec Burks. Alec Burks' stat line. And I know he missed one late. That was a bunny. But if you're going to sit here and kill Alec Burks after this game, you didn't watch the same game that I watched. Burks was absurd. I mean, listen to his stat line. Off the bench, he was 9 of 13. He was 3 of 5 from 3, and he gave you 27 points. Rose, we talked about what a key he was going to be in this series. I thought, all in all, offensively, Derrick Rose was fantastic. On the other side of the floor, and this goes for the entire Nick team, the reason they ended up losing this game, they had absolutely no answer for Trey Young. And I've been pounding the table on this countless times. If you're going to win this series, yes, you got to do damage when Young is on the bench, but you have to find a way to neutralize him. And it wasn't just the idea of Young getting to the charity stripe like he did in the fourth quarter. Young finding his teammates once he gets into the paint. Wide open threes. Especially for Blanjanovic, who felt like hit a couple of killers down the stretch of this game. And then you think about that final possession for the Knicks. Thibodeau brings in Frank Nilakina, who's supposed to be the so-called defensive stopper. Can we please stop with that title? I mean, holy moly, I don't want to ever hear that ever again. Nilakina, at best, is going to be a 10th player on a good team. That's what he is. And I always look at him as the guy the Knicks took instead of Donovan Mitchell. Just saying. Nilakina comes into the game. They double Young on the final possession. And yet Young, with a spectacular move, blows by both guys, point blank, Hits the shot and is giving the Nick fan all sorts of heat and all sorts of shit in the process. And hey, when you're rocking like an old school Madison Square Garden crowd, that brought back flashbacks to Reggie Miller. That brought back flashbacks to Michael Jordan. Not saying that Trey Young is Reggie Miller or Michael Jordan, but that sort of moment was soul crushing. And I feel like this is going to be something that I'm all over. And this is going to be my major sticking point now for the next couple of games. The Knickerbocker defense has got to find a way to make Trey Young go to his right. 
And if you were watching the game on MSG like I was, because listen, that was a no-brainer choice with the two broadcasts tonight. I mean, Brady was doing the game on MSG. It was, And I liked the national broadcast more than most. But Brady and Clyde were doing the game. That was, it was a lock. I was watching on MSG. And Clyde, to his credit, was all over this throughout the game. Make Trey Young go to his right. Or his left, I should say. Let's get it right. He was going to his right. Well, that's maybe why I'm confusing the point. And that's okay. You know exactly what I meant. You got to force him to go that other way where he's not as comfortable. That's something the Knicks have got to work on as we move forward in this series. You know what's disgusting, though? And I saw this. This was the first time all year the Knicks led entering the fourth quarter at home and they lost the game. That, to me, is a bad sign because this team all year has found ways to win these sort of games exactly like that. On the other hand, is Julius Randle going to be that bad the remainder of the series? If he's going to be that bad for the remainder of the series, the Knicks are not going to win. He has to be better. I think we all know he has to be better. The vibe at Madison Square Garden was electric. It was awesome to get a sense for what playoff basketball felt like. Rock and Garden. Celebrities were out in full force. Spike Lee is there. I wish I was there. I wanted to be in the building tonight. Unfortunately, I didn't have that opportunity. Maybe next time. I'll find my way to a Nick playoff game. When there's a will, there's a way. This is an earth-shattering, soul-crushing type of loss. You got to bounce back. Best of seven series, you got to bounce back quick. And this is going to kind of linger over the next couple of days. That's what sucks so much about the Monday, Tuesday, now into Wednesday layoff. You can use it as motivation or it can really leave a stench in the building. Got to bounce back. Finding a way to take away Trey Young's strong hand, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. I'll be stressing until the cows come home. Now, for the other basketball team in town, Saturday night wasn't pretty. They got off to a terrible start, did the Brooklyn Nets. Boston built the lead. The game was far more competitive than I ever could have imagined, but Brooklyn kind of showed you in the third quarter when they can turn it on, they're kind of really tough to handle from Durant to Irving to Harden. And what impressed me more than anything for Brooklyn, who is going to have an easy time of this series against the Boston Celtics, I don't care if the games are competitive. This series is not going more than five games. I can't stress that enough. That said, the net defense on Jason Tatum was outstanding. That is the sort of championship caliber defense Brooklyn is going to have to play if they're going to win a title. And it was top-notch. I thought the Nets were resilient. I thought the Nets handled the initial blow and bounced back rather nicely and ended up being a ho-hum win to the point where they actually covered the eight points. That I was stunned by. I couldn't believe Brooklyn found a way to cover the eight points. But job well done. Will be a quick series. But continuing to grow that cohesion over the next few games, getting in rhythm, getting back to playing basketball with all three of these guys on the court, is what you're going to be watching now as we move forward into this series and then against Milwaukee or Miami. So, wild weekend of basketball. We'll have a little bit more on the other playoff games to note. I have a couple of series prices that I have circled 
that you want to pinpoint that we're going to have some fun with a little bit later on. With all the basketball going on and the crowd being the way that it was in Madison Square Garden, it was a decent crowd at Barclays. I know Net fans are going to give me all sorts of heat for that, but the reality is the Nick crowd was a lot better than that crowd. I don't think anybody's going to fight me on that. And if you are, you weren't watching the same games I was watching. But I think the best crowd of the weekend was the crowd I saw down at the PGA Championship. And listen, I think anybody who knows yours truly, Yankees, Dolphins, Knicks, Syracuse, I bleed it. You know what else I bleed? Rooting for Phil Mickelson. And I didn't know if Phil had another major in him. He's on the north side of 50. The tour is so good. There are just so many studs that are out there killing it. And the idea of Phil playing great golf over four days on some of these courses, I I didn't know if he was going to be able to do it. Phil clearly had a little bit of an added incentive. The idea of being able to qualify for all four of the majors now for the next five years. I don't know if that fired up. I don't know if there was other criticism that he was hearing. That was a vintage Mickelson event. Vintage. You kept waiting for Phil to collapse. Even when he hit the ball in the water on Saturday, he bounced back. He recovered. He bogeyed the first hole on Sunday. And to me, the shot of the tournament, without a doubt for Phil, the chipping out of the sand, birdieing, as he's going heads up against Brooks Kepka, that was the sort of moment where it was like, Phil's got this. He's got this. And even when the situation got a little hairy, as Kepka found his footing on the back nine, Phil put himself in a position where he had a couple of bogeys in a row. He had that chip. Tough lie. 17. Played it smart. 18. He's to the left. Pulls out the nine iron. Must be nice hitting a nine iron, 180 yards. Stuck it on the green. When he needed to answer, he was able to answer. And there are just certain guys in certain sports that I find myself rooting for over and over and over again. And I think the gallery down at the PGA Championship felt exactly the way that I did. I like Brooks Kepka. I normally root for Kepka. He's been good to me. Kepka was like the Red Sox. He was like the Miami Heat with Alonzo Mourning and Tim Hardaway this weekend because I wanted Phil in the worst way. And I'm so happy now that Phil is the oldest guy ever to win a major. Just think about that for a minute. Phil's over the age of 50. <laughs> he's over the age of 50. And he's hitting longer drives, or he hit the longest drive on one of the holes on the back nine, longer than DeChambeau. Who is Popeye the Sailor Man, for goodness sakes? Phil Mickelson is my spirit animal. I wish I hit bombs like he did. I know he likes to talk smack. I know he likes to gamble. And he's my dude. That was awesome. I didn't think we were going to be able to celebrate another Mickelson major. And then to have the crowd. I mean, they were treating him like he was Mick Jagger or one of the Beatles. Remember when the Beatles used to storm off stage? It was like in a hard day's night and uh, John Paul, George, and Ringo basically like running to try and find a bus. That was Phil Mickelson. Phil was like, I just got to get to 18. So I'm so fired up about my dude. It helped salvage the blow that was the Knicks today. 
Thankfully, this is not a one-game scenario, and it is a best of seven, but it's a jam-packed show. We'll have Justin Termini, my dude from SiriusXM NBA Radio, one of the best NBA guys you're going to find. We'll break down this Knicks series, Nets series, all the playoff series for that matter. Maria Marino, my colleague over at SNY, who is a hoops junkie, is also going to check in. So we got you covered on all the hoops. We'll get to what was a killer weekend for the Yankees, tough weekend for the Mets, series prices galore in the NBA as we're in the lab, ready to rock and roll. Starting a new week, off right. Justin Termini, coming up next. But first, voicemail right out of the gate. I'm curious to see where Saruti takes this. Does he go disgusting Nick fan, giddy net fan, euphoric Phil fan, Yankee fan? I, I, I don't know where Saruti's taking this. Where are we leading this off? JJ, Justin from Floral Park. I was having such a great weekend. Yankees sweep the White Sox. And then you let Trey Young beat you. You know he's going right. Make him go left. Make somebody else beat you. Also, I mean, Barrett, you got to get that ball, man, when Bonjanovic, whoever that was named, is shoot that three. That's a crusher. And Randall did not have a good game. It's one game. Adjustments will be made. But, oh, man, you wasted a great game by Burks. Great game by him. It's a brutal loss, man. Garden was rocking. Oh, it's painful. Later, bro. Justin, I feel your pain. It was brutal. Burks, I thought, was going to bring it home for you in the fourth quarter. Though we'd be talking about the Alec Burks game as the story in game one. Randall's got to be a lot better. He's got to be a lot better. If this is the version of Julius Randall you're getting for the rest of this series, the Knicks are in a world of trouble. And yeah, you got to make Trey Young go to his weak side. It felt like he was going to his strong side over and over and over again, including that final possession of the game. That's something that needs to change, and it's an adjustment that Thibodeau and the Nick defense has got to make going into game two and beyond. My main man, the great Justin Termini from SiriusXM NBA Radio. It's good, and NBA guys, you're going to find. I love JT. Tell us it like it is. It's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. We're welcoming in one of my favorite NBA people, one of my favorite people on the planet, uh, NBA radio extraordinaire. And he's a guy that's been with me every step along the way when I was at my old gig. So now we might as well welcome him now to the new gig. Justin Termini, Sirius XM NBA Radio. What's up, buddy? Uh, I'm used to doing this over the phone. I got to stare at you. Now you got to see my mug. And I got to see your face, by the way. That's not exactly the uh, I went into New York City for the first time in like in two years. And I walked through the streets and I see your picture up there. You know, I got to stare up at your picture on a big billboard. So I'm not, I can't even enjoy the city anymore. Hey, they made me look good. I mean, what you're looking at right now is nothing close to what you're seeing on that billboard, bro. So my apologies for that. And dude, by the way, how awesome, before we get to any of the stuff we saw on the floor, Madison Square Garden, electric. Dude, that felt like old school. That maybe not yeah. the end result. Actually, the end result was Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan combined into one. But that was 
nostalgic, dude, seeing that vibe at Madison's. Oh, Garden. that's the other thing that ticked me off because I lived there for like 20 years. I watched maybe one or two games. I'm, I'm leaving at halftime all these games I would go to, like 10, 15 a year. This is one I, you know, you wish you were there for. And uh, it just, uh, just an amazing environment. I thought it was like the first real day. You tell me, like watching Phil. Right. And then, you know, watching the Lakers and Suns game, watching where you got a little physical, then watching this at MSG. It felt like the, the first time that sports were back. I totally agree with that. Not just the competition on the field, but the environment, the ambiance. I mean, Phil with the gallery on 18, the Gordon crowd chanting defense basically 30 seconds in. Yeah, dude. I, I, I know about F- you. F- I Trey Young. It. Yeah, F- you, like even Trey Young's like Trey Young talking all sorts that. of shit to the fans. Exactly. That, I, I could do it out, by the way. Like, well, do it out. I mean, come on. Even so, even those guys enjoy it no matter what you're yelling at them. So, you know, it's just a perfect environment. I, I, you know, you wish you were there. We haven't talked since the Knicks went on this run at the end of the year. They end up as the four seed. Um, I thought going into this series, JT, if the Knicks are going to win, I talked about pace. I talked about Randall neutralizing Capella and Collins and being able to neutralize Trey Young. Well, I think it's fair to say the Knicks did a pretty lousy job of trying to neutralize Trey Young. And did you notice this like I did throughout the course of this game? Can they make him go to his offhand, for goodness sakes? Like, if you're going into game two, if you're Thibodeau, got to make sure that Trey Young is not going to go strong side over and over again and basically do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, his coming out party. I mean, so now he gives you a fantastic performance like that. And it wasn't just this game. Like, I'm watching that Suns and Lakers game earlier. Chris Paul hurts his right hand. They're not forcing him to go left. I mean, you'd think it'd be basic to force Chris Paul, who could barely dribble the basketball in the early game. They're not doing it there. And then this one, it's the it's the same thing. And then on the Randall front, like, I, I felt at the beginning of the, the series that the Hawks were going to win. And the reason was I just thought they had more weapons, right? I mean, they got Trey Young, they got Collins, and Collins was great tonight. You got Kevin Herter, who can give you 20 points. Bogdanovich is one of the underrated players in the league. I got Clint Capella on an all-NBA team on my third team center. Uh, you got a bunch of guys that can beat you. With the Knicks, they need their one or two guys to beat you. And if Randall's going to give you a six for 24, you got no shot. Because, like, Trey Young could be off. They could still win the, the game because Collins can go off for 25. Bogdanovich can go off for 25. You know, Capella could give you 20 and 14. See, that's why I thought this was going to be a great opportunity for the Knicks because as poorly as Randall was playing and the shot even at the end of the game, they yeah. got lucky to get a rebound. Rose ends up hitting a tie shot. One of the worst shot attempts I've ever seen. But for Randall to play that badly, JT, and you get Burks hitting shot after shot after shot, do you look at it from a negative? From I a look standpoint? at it negative. That's yeah, negative. So, Don't you I would, say, I would like, argue, though, that Randall, there's, there's no way he's going to be this bad, right, for the remainder of the series. But, he can't be. But wouldn't you argue that some of the other, like Burks, and I know he Burks probably not going to be as good. Yeah, he That's was great fair. the last couple of games of the regular season. He's been good all year. But, like, Derrick Rose was very good quickly. And even Toppin gave you a couple of good minutes. Like, and typically don't get that out of young kids. So, I, I felt that you got to take advantage of the fact that you're getting all these other performances. Now, I don't expect Randall to do that. He's going to settle down, you would assume, but I'm not sure you get that performance from everybody else. Okay, if the Knicks are going to win this series, and I know you like Atlanta, but if the Knicks are going to win, was there something you saw in game one that you think is going to be like an overriding factor? Is it Rose? Is it Barrett stepping up? Is it three-point shooting? What do the Knicks have to do in order to win this series? In your yeah, eyes? I mean, and, and that's the thing there with, with Randall not playing well is you're still able to keep it close. I, I, I like the fact that Thibodeau didn't go back to Alfred Payton. 
I mean, can you, I don't, don't want to see Alfred Payton. How much? Then, how much time? How about that? Have, I don't want to see him ever again. Yeah. Uh, how come? How much time can you have him on the bench? And I also felt like the fans helped the, the Knicks keep it close in this one as well. And maybe that was something that's concerning from that perspective. It's like Atlanta's a young team; they have no experience, and then to go in there in Game One, I would assume they'll get accustomed to like the environment as you move forward as well. Then you look at Brooklyn against your boys, the Celtics. It was ugly for them for a quarter and a half. Yeah. They're down at halftime. And I don't like this team. I can't stand them. I think I, they're impossible to root for. But when they get humming and they're firing on all cylinders, I mean, that third quarter, JT, they're, yeah. they're unstoppable. I thought we were talking about New York sports here. Does anybody in New York but care about uh, don't, You say that to the Net fan, a few of them, they, they get on me and they give me well, all they, sorts of they, shit. They, I'm they glad get very you sensitive. acknowledge this. Thank, thank God you don't have to worry, with, uh, worry about many of them, right? I mean, like, they allowed fans into the building the other night. I thought that was a bad thing for them because I've been to a bunch <laughs> of games that I'm there. Well, and it's you, like, they're going to be self way. There's if more Celtic a, fans in there. Well, how about if it's a Nick Net Eastern Conference Finals? That's seven road games for Brooklyn. You know it and I know. Oh, it's it the won't same matter, thing out but in it's LA. seven road games. Like, I moved out to LA. It's almost just as bad. I went to go watch a couple of the Clipper games there, and it's 90% of the fans from the other, the other uh, teams. Would you argue the dynamic is worse amongst Nick Net fans as far as, like, the fan dominating the other, or is it worse in L.A. with the Lakers? I think it's worse in L.A. because at least people here like Because the Lakers are better, I understand Well, no, I don't even know if it's that. I just think that, like, less people care about, uh, you know, the the fan's just not as loud out there anyway. So even in the Lakers game, it's not like going to a Knicks game. It's not like going to a Celtics game or a Sixers game. Like, it's a more tame fan base. How much more fun is it for you? You're doing national NBA. I know it is for me locally here in New York. Having the Knicks relevant and playing playoff series again. I for, I almost forgot what it's like, JT, because, you know, you go back to the 90s, early 2000s. I mean, I was a kid growing up. I was accustomed to the Knicks being in the playoffs every single year. Like, a standard year was second round. A good year was probably the conference finals. The great year would be an NBA finals. And then they basically go two decades with, like, Four playoff series in that span. Is it more fun for you doing your gig when the Knicks are good? Well, I, as long as they're like doing, they're either doing something great or they're doing something stupid. Like the the worst is like in between when they're like maybe building their way there or they're playing all right. So this year, yeah, was was fantastic, right? Because it was such a surprise too. Because I feel like you called me like a basketball expert at the beginning or some compliment. Yeah, I, I tried to. Them, See, that's I what happens them, when I try to be nice. Yeah, but well, I picked them to be the worst team in the NBA at the outset of the season. Maybe the Thunder, I think I had worse, but definitely in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and then for them to perform like this is like a complete surprise. And this is the other thing. This will probably be the most enjoyable season that you have over the next couple of years. Because like next year, you're going to head in with, with expectations, right? So no matter what they do next year, it's not going to be a surprise, even if they play well. Milwaukee or Miami? Who, in your eyes, is a tougher matchup for Brooklyn? Obviously, honest, the best player on the floor. Miami is a lot more battle-tested. They have chutzpah. They played hard in game one. If you're Brooklyn, who would you prefer matching up with in the second? Yeah, round? a lot of teams play hard. It's about talent. Well, I get that. But no, Miami's, I know that. Well, Miami's I'm getting good. Though. I'm getting sick of the Miami off. Miami was horrible during the regular season. They were a fluke last year, so I enjoyed watching them lose. Oh, so you're not you're not on the Miami bandwagon? Oh my God! I know I'm a member of the media, so I probably have to be like, oh, or heat culture and and push that. But no, I, I'm not on that. Uh, you know, I, that's not my agenda. So I know I, uh, I can't stand them, JT. But I yeah. thought maybe the, the bias is kicking in with me making a lot of money on them last year in the Eastern yeah. playoffs, and I just took them round after round after round. 
So you don't think what they did last year in the playoffs is sustainable at all in this Milwaukee series? No, I mean, and they played them tough in the first round, but this is a different Milwaukee team. Like Drew Holiday is tough as nails. You saw the impact that uh, uh, the PJ Tucker had in the, in the first round. And typically, I didn't this year, but I have him on like my All NBA teams defensively. I think he's that good defensively. So, so they're just uh, they're just a lot better. And uh, you know, and I, I don't want to hear the talk either. Like Jimmy Butler comes out and gives you what four of twenty two or five of twenty two after Jimmy Butler said, uh, and I'm not even familiar with the term. But he said, like, we're finna to win a championship this year. I think that's the word he used. And then he, he and then he's stupidly locked in heading into game one. And, and that's how you perform because the other guys kind of did their job, right? Like Duncan Robinson did his job. It was tragic, did his job. It was Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo that didn't show up. But as a result of the talking and the media bandwagon and how they don't criticize him at all, like I felt they were only slightly better than the Celtics this year. The Celtics, they finished like two games ahead of Boston. Boston got crushed. Miami's like, oh, I still think they're a championship contender. No, they're not a championship contender. I like Milwaukee. Okay. Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Rank these teams as we're a game into the playoffs. All right. So I think Milwaukee has the toughest road because while I just criticized Miami there a little but bit. But it'd have to go through Miami, yeah, exactly. Brooklyn, and then Philly. Exactly. That's a hell of a road. Exactly. It's it's one of the harder roads that you get. That's why I thought the two seed was so important. Like the one seed was, I thought, the most important seed in the entire postseason, right? Because then you avoid having to play two of those teams. You just play them once and you do it at home. So I think Philadelphia's got the most advantageous situation. But as far as like the team, I like Milwaukee the best. So I would rank them Milwaukee, Brooklyn. Uh, and then Philadelphia, uh, and then with with the with the Nets, like yeah, they got the talent, but they don't have continuity. And their defense was spectacular yesterday in the second half against Boston. But defensively, like all right, show it to me before I'm going to believe in that. So yeah, I've got Milwaukee, then I've got Brooklyn, and I got Philadelphia, which is odd because it's the opposite of the way that the standings played out. Curious if you have this fear of Brooklyn. They're down in a series. I don't know what kind of intestinal fortitude this team has. Zero. Yeah. They haven't played one meaningful game in a regular season scenario all year. I want to see JT. They're down 2-1. Forget your team. They're beating the Celtics. They're They're down 2-1 against Milwaukee. How are they showing up in an environment that's cooking and Giannis is playing well and Tucker's giving it to them? I think that's one of well, the great questions yeah, they going have no ex- playoff. They have no experience doing it. And it's the same issue we saw with the Clippers last year, where they didn't take the regular season seriously, right? And then once they face some adversity, they couldn't handle it. They're, you know, they're up 3-1. They couldn't handle it in the tight spots in the fourth quarter. Like, part of what you, like the Celtics, my Celtics in 2008, right? All right, they won it in their first year. But you know what they did throughout the course of the regular season? They took it seriously. And even they had trouble in the first round with a mediocre Atlanta team, right? They barely got out of that series. It took them seven to get by Cleveland in the second round. And then they started to get their uh, their groove a little bit. So you don't have any experience. And guess what? Like 74 years of NBA basketball tells us that continuity is important. And it tells us that defense is important. Brooklyn's like trying to do it without either one of those things. They don't have continuity and they don't have defense. Who's in more trouble right now out of the L.A. teams down 1-0? Clippers or Lakers? God, I can't buy that the Lakers are in trouble. But I mean, Well, it, I'm going to hammer the Lakers in their series now because they were minus 165. Yeah. They lose game one. JT, I'm getting the Lakers at even money against Phoenix. I'm hammering that bet. Yeah, especially because now Chris Paul's not going to be healthy moving forward. Like, it looked like he didn't even have any feeling in his arm from what I was watching. Uh, The only break, I guess, that Phoenix had is it looked like the guy who really hit his shoulder was Anthony Davis. Uh, So if Davis wakes up at all, and I thought that was their best matchup as well. Like, Anthony Davis against their bigs. He crushed them a couple of weeks ago for 42-12-5, and and then he comes back here and lays an egg like this. And that's the other thing that drives you nuts, right, is what other superstar is a allowed to do that 
is allowed to go out like Anthony Davis did in the first half against Golden State the other day, sleepwalk, get no criticism, then bounce back here today and absolutely pull a no-show. Like any superstar could have, you tell me Giannis could have joined LeBron James last year, won a championship, and then he's getting his, you know, rear end praised all offseason. Like ESPN say, oh, he's the, the second best player in the league. You can't show up like he did, not show up like Anthony Davis did. Like, you got to be able to carry. Anthony Davis can't do that. It doesn't look like to me. You tell me. You think LeBron looks like he's fully healthy right now? No. It, yeah, it doesn't. But wouldn't it be nice to, if you're teaming up with Anthony Davis, say, all right, last year I carried you. Why don't you carry Yeah, me? I would agree with that. I yeah. think that's reasonable. I think it's fair. And, you know, eventually it's probably going to have to happen maybe this year if the Lakers are going to win a title. I don't want him winning a title. I'll be sick to my stomach. I got to see them win it again. Like, I am yep. at all costs right now, JT. No Lakers, no Nets, and I'm happy in early July. I'm so the same way. All right, good. You, you should have just interviewed yourself because I feel uh, the same way. Listen, sometimes we actually have to have yeah. something in common. Who is the team right now in the West? Best position to knock off the Lakers. I'm invested in Utah, so I'm hopeful that it's Utah. But who would that team be? Well, I would like to see Utah do it as well because of the trash talk like LeBron gave him at the outset of the year. Plus, nobody respects Rudy Gobert. I had a difficult time leaving him off my MVP ballot. That's how good he was. The issue I'm having is like, all right, it's got to be the healthiest team. So who's healthy? Like Donovan Mitchell's not going to even start here game one. All right, so if he's not going to start here game one, he's probably not going to be back for game two. Is he going to be in his groove by the time you get the Lakers in the second round, right? Uh, you look at Denver. I thought Denver was the team to beat prior to all the injuries. I mean, Will Barton's banged up, P.J. Dozier, Amani Morris, uh, and then obviously you're not going to get back at all, Jamal Murray. So I think they're too banged up. I think so, they're cooked in this series against Portland. I yeah. don't think they have an answer for Damon McCollum. What's the answer? I agree. And that's who the Lakers are going to face in the second round. And that's a terrible matchup, JT, for Portland because they have no size for Davis. If Davis is right, he's going to eat their lunch. Yeah, and that's what he should be doing to Phoenix as well because, I mean, Aiton was spectacular today, but he's not a guy that can hang with, with Anthony Davis. And, you know, that's the other thing. Once Frank Vogel realized you can't play Andre Drummond and you got to play Davis at the five, I think they'll be set there too. I guess you could probably say that the, the team that's that's got the best opportunity to knock them off in the Western Conference is just Phoenix for the mere fact that they've got a one Nothing advantage on him right now. Finals. We're sitting here in early July. Who's playing? I think it's going to be Milwaukee, even though I hesitate to say that because of the road going up against the Lakers. Unfortunately, I see the Lakers winning it again. And that's the thing, too. Like, if you're a basketball fan, you cannot root for the Lakers or the Nets, right? Because, like, you throw these super teams together instead of, like, building something organically. That's what makes me, you know, it, it makes you ill because you want to see these teams, like, have to fight, right, and get turned back. Like well, I want to see some adversity. You know, exactly. You think about all these great teams over the years. Jordan had adversity throughout. LeBron, even though he joined with Miami, had to lose a final, At least they, had to exactly. lose a couple of playoff series. The idea that a team just gets formed, boom, one year they win a championship, tough to take. I'm with especially, you especially with the Nets, they're going to play nine games together this year, and then they're going to end up winning a championship. So they're not going to take the regular season seriously. They're going to treat it as a joke, and then they're going to roll through the, the Eastern Conference. Like, I, I hope it doesn't happen. I don't think it'll happen because I think, uh, you know, we saw it in the regular season a little bit, and I know they didn't have all three of their guys, but who's guarding Giannis on that team? I don't think they nobody to guard them. What bothers you more? Final one. Load management or super teams? Oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, it's like... now You got to pick one. Can we have you done this in the morning one. to get me, like, ticked off the day? Now I'm not going to be able to get through, through the sleep. Uh, I think it's load management. 
just because like I who am I to say like if I was going to team up with you and create a super team on like a podcast network like maybe I would team up with you okay so I'd be a little bit of hypocrite there well I was going to say you would think you'd be taking every shot I feel like I wouldn't touch the ball that's fine but the point is I could see myself teaming up with you right in the future and getting rid of Eddie Johnson who I host with like so I guess I could see that even though I don't like the idea of it and it does drive me nuts and that's why this ring culture like I don't count rings now I count them by context right like Isaiah Thomas's ring and you know uh, in 89 uh, 90 that means something right Dirk Nowitzki's ring in 2011 that means something uh, so I now do context with the rings but load management drives me nuts I show up to work every single day it's the least we could ask for and that's like uh, so Kobe Bryant's wife Vanessa the other day I was glad that she spent like five minutes uh, you know basically saying Kobe fought through everything where these guys don't and let me tell you something about load management as well I don't have much of a say uh, other than turning the microphone on but I'm blessed that the NBA has given me votes right for these season ending awards last year I was one of two guys 100 people vote I was one of two guys that left Kawhi Leonard's name off my ballot because he didn't play in back-to-back games. So if Kawhi Leonard's not going to play in back-to-back games, guess what that's going to do? It's going to make his numbers look better because he's never playing tired. He's never playing fatigue. His efficiency is going to be off exactly. the because he's not playing exactly. games in six days. Yeah. So it, so it doesn't appear on my ballot. Same thing with Kyrie Irving. He's going to take seven days off and not explain himself. Guess multiple what? personal Except uh, multiple personal days. days. You know? multiple. And then he's not going to explain why. Okay, one, you're getting a rest while Damian Lillard is busting his butt all season long. Damian Lillard can't take a day off. They'll lose every single game in Portland. So he's got to go through the season like fatigued and tired and fighting, whereas Kyrie Irving's just taking a vacation two weeks into the season. So no. So he's nowhere on my ballot. I don't have a net anywhere on my ballot. Thanks for a couple of minutes. I hope you enjoyed the billboard. And I wish you nothing but the best with these predictions, except the Nick one. The Nick one, I hope you're all off on as this series progresses. Okay? I, I picked the Knicks to be the worst team in the Eastern Conference. The uh, that's good news, though. That means this exactly. hope for this series is what you're telling you're, me. You're, you're safe. JT, you're the man, bro. Thanks, buddy. All right. We'll talk to you later. Thanks. There you go. The great ultimate curmudgeon. Right. And my good yeah. pal. The great job. I'm, I'm free to leave. Right on. There you go. We got a lot more to do. New York, New York, right here. Ring of Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Man, it's always a blast to have the great Justin Termini on the show. And what I love so much about Justin, even though he's a pain in my ass, he loves to tell like it is. And you need guys like that and gals like that in your life. Justin will do that with the NBA. And that's why he is my authority in many cases when I'm kind of wavering with a stance in the league that I need, you know, a little extra push on. You get JT on the bat line and he will deliver. Now, speaking of delivering, Holy moly, what a weekend for the New York Yankees. We talked about how this series against the Chicago White Sox, not necessarily the be-all, end-all in the American League, but a good litmus test to kind of see where you're at against a team 
that more than likely you're going to have to beat in the postseason. And I think the Yankees kind of went out of their way to send a message. We ain't messing around. We're going to go and sweep you, and we're going to win a couple of dramatic games in the process. They had a dramatic win on Friday. The triple play in the ninth inning was incredible. Then you walk it off with a Glaber Torres hit, and I think that is one of the great takeaways from the weekend. Glaber Torres, who got off to a dreadful start on defense, dreadful start with the bat, did not feel comfortable in any way, is starting to heat up as the weather is heating up. Glaber has been muy caliente over the last few games. Fun to watch. This is the player we saw in 2019, and he has been instrumental in helping the Yankees out. They don't sweep the Chicago White Sox without his contributions. In addition, how about the Yankees starting pitching? Montgomery on Friday night, and I'm so angry because Sarudi had texted me a couple of potential options for odds boosts with our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. Montgomery strikeouts and DJ made a homer were like the two I was leaning towards. I'm on the golf course, might have had a couple of beverages, and of course I made the wrong choice. Regardless, Monty was great. Der- Garrett Cole was Garrett Cole. And on Sunday, Jamison Tyon was really, really good. Five shutout innings against a really good White Sox team. You survived the fact that your bullpen, which has been a great strength, was not good on Sunday. Peralta gave up runs. Green gave up a run. And then Chapman gives up his first run of the year. And when Chapman gives up that run, that homer in the top half of the ninth inning, you're thinking the Yankees are going to lose the game. Thankfully, the Yankees came storming back. Great day from Quinn Frazier at three hits. You take advantage of an infield single. Wade coming in to play defense. And Aaron Judge's first ever walk-off. Who knew it was going to end up being on a walk? You take it, a sweep over the Chicago White Sox, a loss for the Boston Red Sox, Yankees in nine games over 500, and are by far and away playing their best baseball of the year. And they're still not hitting. They're winning games because their pitching has been off the charts. Half game behind the Red Sox. Haven't played them at all. Good spot to be the week before Memorial Day. For the Mets, tough series against Miami. They won that crazy, bizarre, epic game on Friday night. And the last two days were ugly. Sunday, it was pretty simple. Marlins scored five in the top half, uh, bottom half of the second inning, and the Met bats were just completely silent. And if you're looking at the lineup, the Mets are running out there with Alonzo now on the shelf, with McNeil not there, with Conforto not there, with Nimmo not there. It's a rough lineup. Not surprised after the big series against Atlanta. They struggled against a spunky, pesky team that knows how to pitch. Marlins were a playoff team last year. They're not a legit playoff team, 60-game season. But I kind of had a feeling after the Mets lost on Saturday and got walked off on, Sunday might be a rough one. And it was. I mean, listen, you're starting Jordan Yamamoto. Kind of where you're at. Mets got to get healthy. They're fine. They're in the right division at this point. You can live with a bad weekend. You take three and three on this road trip. You really do. You take and sign for three and three. Mets got to get right as a team because clearly they are not there. So, folks, before we get to some listener voicemails, and if you're wondering, of course, how to get in touch with New York, New York, very easy. You pick up your phone, 917 
317-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. You let it rip. You shoot the shit for a couple minutes. You make your point. You rant. You say hello, whatever you want to do. And it's as easy as ABC. It's easy as one, two, three. And if you're wondering how to get in touch with the show, I mean, you shouldn't be. We're 22 into this bad boy already. But I like to be nice. I like to be in the giving spirit when I can. Speaking of being in the giving spirit, I know we do three podcasts a week. When the Knicks are in the playoffs, we are on after every game. No ifs, no ends, no buts. That's how I roll around here. I like to work. I like having fun with y'all. That's what we do. So here's what I'm going to do on Wednesday and Friday. We're going to keep our schedule as is. Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, podcast form. Even though this podcast is probably up early Monday morning, but late night, you get my drift. But after Wednesday night's game two, and after Friday's game four, here's what we're going to do, folks. We are going to do a live version of our show. Maybe it'll be 20 minutes. Maybe it will be an hour. And you will have the opportunity to interact with the show live. It's like the old days, folks. You used to listen to my old gig. You have to download, here's the catch, the Locker Room app. Very easy to do. Locker Room app. I'm going to tweet out the link. You follow me on Twitter, John underscore Jastrzemski. You will be able to find it. As soon as that baby goes final, game two and game three, I don't know, 9.45, 10 o'clock. You never know with these games. Go to my Twitter page. Click the link. Download the app beforehand if you want to participate, though. I mean, listen, if you want to call the show, do so. And I'm going to let it rip. And we're going to have a ton of fun. It's going to be very similar to my Instagram lives, except you will be a part of the show. Locker room app. My Twitter page. Live shows. Game two and game three. And if you miss... The live show, you know, you have work, you're doing this, you're doing that, you got to put your kids to bed. We will hopefully be able to get them up on our podcast page. I'm cautiously optimistic we will be able to do so, assuming there are no technical difficulties, but I'm feeling good vibes and I think everything's going to work out great because that's what we do. Positive energy for the Knicks, for this podcast, for the locker room app. Live shows Tuesday, Wednesday after the Nick games. Got it? Understood? Good. That's what's up. Now, without further ado, listen to voicemails, I'm sure, from heartbroken Nick fans. If you had Phil, I hope you got him early. And how about the Yankee starters, by the way? The shutout streak. Five starting pitches to have a shutout streak over 30-plus innings. What a world. I know offense is down in Major League Baseball, but holy moly, and I don't want to hear excuses. When a White Sox lineup is mashing everybody, including the Minnesota Twins. That team can hit, and you shut them out with your starters Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, that's good energy. Phil is great energy. Knicks, mm, not so much. Who's on a horn? John, it's Jack from Westchester. You uh, you say a lot that we're playing with house money being in the playoffs. Sure doesn't fucking feel like it. My heart is broken. We're also playing with very real money that I invested in a Knicks win and a Knicks series win. So I don't know. Can you give me any words to feel better? I feel like the narrative is going to be, if we're this close when our two best players are playing like shit, imagine what it's going to look like when they're playing better. But I just, I, I don't know. I am, 
I don't know if I should go cry, if I should go throw some stuff, if I should go to sleep and uh, and hope for a better day tomorrow. Um, how are you handling this? Goodbye. I think it's all reasonable when it comes to your questions and your wide ranging of emotions. And you could be glass half full like I am. You got a so-so game out of Barrett aside from that highlight reel dunk. You got a terrible game out of Julius Randle. I have to assume that they are going to be much better moving forward. On the flip side, you get in the same contributions out of Emmanuel Quickly and Alec Burks and even Obi Toppin, as Justin Termini pointed out. I don't know. He's more of a negative guy. I'm more of a positive guy. I'm going to preach positive on that. The bigger issue for the Knicks is how in the world they're going to slow down Trey Young who ate that lunch here in the first game of this series. That is the more overarching theme. And I did not bet this game. And I'm going to tell you why I didn't bet this game. I'm on the Knicks for the series. That's on record. I didn't bet this game today because the Knicks went from being a one and a half point favorite to a one point underdog. And that's line movement and money that I am not going against. So I said, I'm going to root my heart out. I'm not going to put a cent on this game. And I'm going to hopefully get a better number on the Knicks series prize before game two gets going. So it's a soul crushing loss. The good news is it's one of seven. You're not eliminated tonight. Game two, no. Make no mistake. Must win. Knicks lose game two. They're going to have an awfully, awfully tough time trying to win this series. You split, get one down in Atlanta, you're exactly where you need to be. Who's up next? What's up, JJ? Eamon from Denver. Uh, tough loss today for the Knicks. Randall didn't show up. If you're an all-NBA guy, you got to be there and show up when it counts. You know, I know he's still got a double-double managed to help a little bit, but I don't know. I've just been saying it all year. Randall doesn't have the clutch gene. When it comes down to it, buzzer beaters and stuff, he just doesn't have it. When it comes down to game-winning situations, he doesn't have it. And he chucked up an air ball. D-Rose bailed us out. I thought our defense would hold up. It didn't, you know. I've seen a lot of positives in um, the rookies and their and, and people new to the playoffs, but overall, I think that uh, we could do a lot better in the next game. Thanks for having me, JJ. Well, I appreciate it. I would hope that the Knicks are going to do a heck of a lot better when it comes to a result. That's number one. Um, I totally disagree with Randall as far as the clutch gene. I mean, how many big shots and how many big plays did Randall make over the course of this year? I think to sum up one game in like an overarching theme for a guy who turned himself into an all-star and an MVP candidate and did all of the things that Julius Randle brought to the table this year, it's just short-sighted. He's got to be a lot better. We'll agree on this. He stunk in game one. He was inefficient. His shot selection stunk. He was being well-defended. I give Atlanta credit. They defended him well. They did a much better job on him Sunday night than they did throughout the regular season. And you know as a Knicks fan, they ain't winning this series without Julius Randle. If Julius Randle is going to stink up the joint and give you a couple more games like he did tonight, Knicks are dead. I expect him to be a lot better. And I'm not pressing the panic button on Julius Randle in the least. He'll be fine. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. Richard and Brooklyn calling. Really pissed off after that Knicks loss. I think if you have to critique one part of Thibodeau's game all year, his coaching game all year, he can't draw up a good last shot. 
Why is Burks your hottest shooter of the night inbounding the ball? And why are you inbounding it with .9 seconds left to shoot or take a turnaround J? It's got to be catch and shoot, no turnaround J. I think, but I don't think with Barry, I don't, I, some Knicks fans I see on Twitter, they're not happy. I'm also not happy, but I think we still got a shot. I mean, Julius plays like crap tonight, and yet we still lost by two. We had a ball with a chance to win the game. So, Knicks fans, keep your head up. We're going to win this. Thanks, JJ. Appreciate it, Richard. I agree. Burks has got to be an option in a catch-and-shoot scenario with a second left. But let's be honest. You have a second left. Less than that, I think it was .9. You're not getting a good look. For me, it's very, very tough to critique that because that's, that's a heave. That's a wing. That's a prayer. There are maybe like four or five guys. Steph, Dame Lillard, a couple more who were able to pull that off. Plenty of guys are not pulling that off. Your odds of scoring there are like 5,000 to 1. Dead serious. Like 5,001. I think Tom Thibodeau is going to be critiqued for bringing in Neil Aquina. I think that's something he's going to hear about. That's one of those situations, I got to be honest, it didn't bother me in the moment. Now, I don't like Neil Aquina. I thought he was a terrible pick. I can't stand him. I can't wait till he's off the team. The idea that he is this lockdown defender, I think is so overblown and so overrated. But on one defensive possession, I've seen Tibbs make this call throughout the regular season. There are one or two games I can remember off the top of my head where Frankie didn't play much. They brought him in on defense. Pacer game made a great play. Who exactly on the Knicks was guarding Trey Young well in this game? You know, it's not like there was one particular play where you're like, wow, I really feel good about the defense he's playing on Young. No, nobody had an answer for Young. He touched everybody. He was electric. And they're going to have to do a much better job defensively on him moving forward in this series. Taking away his strong hand is a nice place to start. Who's up next? Yo, JJ. This is Eddie. Uh, originally from the Bronx, living in Columbus, Ohio right now. Uh, just watching uh, the game, post-game interviews. And I'm watching this uh, balding Kevin Hart-looking ass clown run his mouth as if Julius Randle didn't go six for 23 as if his team didn't, wasn't going to get run off the court if Randall doesn't make three or four more of those shots. Uh, so, you know, it was an amazing game to watch. Uh, tough loss, got to admit. Uh, but we'll get back at it. Game two, go Knicks. Uh, first time caller, uh, long time listener. I love what you're doing on the pod. Keep at it and, uh, you have a good night. Appreciate the love. And we love New Yorkers. We love transplant New Yorkers. We love people who just are dialed in on New York sports. Wherever you get us, more power to you. So I appreciate that. Julius Randle, listen, you want to be max player. This is what you got to deal with when you're in New York City. You have a bad game. You got to take that burden on, baby. And I think it'll be fine. I've seen it from Randle all year. I'm not worried about how he's going to respond in game two. And know this about the Gordon crowd. As electric as Madison Square Garden was throughout. And it was fucking electric. Holy moly. Sounded like the 90s. Even when I was there in 2012, 2013, it got loud. I don't think it was as loud as it was game one for Atlanta. No way. No way. 
as much as your players can feed off of that energy, and I think the Knicks did, I think their bench most certainly did, it can go the other way. And I think you saw that with Trey Young, who enjoyed every minute of sticking it to the Knicks and sticking it to the Garden crowd, shushing them basically as the game ended. It's not exactly Reggie Miller or Michael Jordan, but when you haven't been in the playoffs in 20 years, very easy to identify now Trey Young as a Garden villain moving forward, especially if the Knicks lose this series. Who's up next? Uh, JJ, what's up, man? It's uh, Donson Jersey, first time, long time. Game one just ended, and um, I forgot what this feeling feels like, man, and uh, it fucking sucks. But here's what my biggest takeaway is, is when you're a top-rated defensive team, which all the numbers back up for the Knicks, you've got to at least make a couple stops on Trey Young. It got to a point, especially after they tied the game, where you just knew he was going to score. And when you're a top-rated defensive team like that, that's that's not good. And I don't know, man. Hopefully they figure it out game two, but man, did that suck. All righty. Peace. Don, I understand that. When your team hasn't played a whole lot of meaningful games the last 20 years, you forget the agony and the pain of a brutal playoff loss. And for years, you were ex- experienced as a Nick fan from all the highs and the lows of being there year after year. I echo that. I feel that. And if the Knicks are going to play Trey Young the same way they did moving forward the rest of this series, if it's a carbon copy of game one, they're in a world of trouble. The good news is you have a head coach who is brilliant. You have a team that's played great defense all year, and I want to see how they're going to adjust. I want to see over the course of seven games if rotations change, if patterns change, if the way, you know, their man-to-man defense on Young is going to change. All that's going to be on full display. You got a couple of days to unfortunately let this marinate and be ready to rock on Wednesday. Who's on a horn next? What's going on, JJ? This is uh, Stuart from Brooklyn. Um, oh, in terms with the, uh, with the Knicks, well, you know, hopefully this was, this was just an off game by Randall and, and not a sign of him having a terrible series. We clearly cannot play Peyton and that Tibbs has, you know, has to realize this now or we'll lose the series. I mean, if RJ and Randall have a bounce, bounce back game, we, we should be fine. But Randall, he, he was like six for 23 and then takes a fadeaway shot with 0.9 seconds left on a clock. And, and Rose was, was, was open for the shot and he would, he would have drilled it if he had the, uh, last, last possession. I mean, the, the Knicks had more personal fouls called on them. In, in the game, uh, and 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 the Knicks need to to foul Young hard a few times, and maybe he'll need to stop initiating contact. I feel like I'm going to hear a lot of this, and I always love hearing from my main man Stewie in Brooklyn. A couple of Knicks fans are texting me; they don't love the call late in the game on Trey Young when Barrett initiated contact. I believe and fouled him. I thought it was foul, quite frankly. I know some folks. I'm going to look at 90s basketball and 80s basketball and try and tell you otherwise. That's a foul now. 100 out of 100 times. And I guess it's late in the game, so maybe it's worth a flyer and worth a challenge. I knew there wasn't a chance in hell they were overturning that call. Young is going to generate calls because he gets to the rack. Got to guard him without fouling. It's tough to do. Not an easy ask. Randall is going to be better in this series. And if he's not, there ain't much to discuss. You know, there are some truths where it's like, well, 
If your big guns and your big players don't perform, well, how do you expect to win? Randall goes and shoots 30% in this series. The Knicks are not going to be in good shape. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. I love the passion right now, right out of the gate. The Knicks fan is coming out hot. I love it. I love it. I mean, I'm hot too. More reasons than one, but that's for a different time. Who's on a horn? John, this is Jack. Um, I'm watching this uh, Boston-Brooklyn game. What am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to root for? It feels wrong no matter where I look at it. Um, I've been trained since my earliest days as a Yankee fan to just hate everything about Boston and their sports teams. The nice city, the worst fans in the world. Um, and then the Nets, like, look, if you're, if you were going to games in the IZOD Center or you're under eight years old or you can confidently point at a picture of Kendall Gill or Kerry Kittles and know who that is, then good for you. I'm legitimately happy for you. But there's none of you out there. So, like, who do I root for? I don't know. Maybe I need to bet on it just to have some rooting interest. Um, you can tell my daughter in the background is just as upset as I am watching this game. Um, what, what, how, how are you getting through this? All right. See you, buddy. Jack multitasking right there. I'm proud of you. You got your daughter in your lap. You're lamenting over who you got to root for on this first round series. I think it's an easy call. You root for the Celtics. I mean, the Celtics aren't going to win this series anyway. And they're not winning an NBA title. The Nets can absolutely win an NBA title. And I don't know how many Net fans you have up in Westchester County. I'm dealing with a few in Brooklyn. They're honestly not even my neighbors. They're just, you know, the random idiot I see wearing the uh, Brooklyn hat. That's probably, you know, a hipster coming out of the coffee den or whatever. The yuppie bar. Me, I'll be rocking my Knicks shirt all week. I got a couple of throwbacks. I might even bring out the Ewing jersey, but it's an easy call. Your question, easy call. You're rooting for the Celtics. Who's next? Bring out the brooms, baby, because that's a sweep of a really good team. The Yankees are back. The Yankees are going to win the AL. The Yankees have a real shot at the World Series. Started off really slow, but this series was clutch hitting, clutch moments, clutch pitching, a freaking triple play. They're having fun. And they swept one of the top teams, if not the other contender for the AL title. I am fired up, my man. All right. See you later, buddy. I can understand why you're fired up. This is a big series for the Yankees. This was a statement series for the Yankees. And what I'm encouraged by, good karma, good vibes. I'm not saying it's going to make or break the year. It's way too early. Weekend before Memorial Day weekend. You had a couple of dramatic wins this week. The Kluber no-hitter. Even Thursday afternoon with a couple of key pinch hits from Judge and Gio Rochella. Friday, Chapman working out of trouble, getting a triple play. 5-4-3. The walk-off Friday from Glaber. Saturday, you get a bunch of doubles. And Sunday... You overcome Chapman's first blown save of the year. And he's human. It's going to happen. This shutout streak that these starting pitchers have going is it's off the rails. It's insanely good. That, to me, is the story for the Yankees over the first two months. They haven't really hit, and their pitching has been better than expected and better than advertised. With Luis Severino, 
maybe about six to eight weeks on the horizon. That is a great sign for the Yankees. But I think their postseason success is going to be tied entirely to the lineup and whether or not this lineup is going to be able to produce. And you notice, Clint Frazier goes three for four today. With Miguel Andujar coming on strong and taking some at-bats away from Red Thunder. It would behoove Clint Frazier if he wants to get everyday playing time on his team. He better hit. He had better hit. Two to go. Who's up next? Jage, it's John from Long Island. I was having a thought watching our Yankees this week, and I wanted to know if you agreed. This was a huge week for the team, and I think it was bigger than the no-hitters, the triple plays, the walk-off, Glaber hitting again, Judge hitting. I think it's bigger than all that. Watching this team, I think they have the spark of joy for playing the game and playing with each other again. Look, 2020 was a grim year for a lot of reasons, but this team just didn't seem to enjoy playing the game of baseball, didn't seem to enjoy being Yankees, and didn't seem to enjoy each other. Now, they're laughing in the dugout, they're having a good time, they dap each other up, they cheer for each other, they mob each other when they do well, they give each other high fives. This team just seems to have a more joyous vibe about it than they even did at the beginning of the year. I think that's an essential ingredient if you want to win a World Series. And I think this team is finding it. Let me know what you think. Love the show. Thanks. I think that is a very astute observation. And I know the advanced stats guys out there and the Saber matricians are going to mock me. But guess what? I believe in team chemistry in baseball. You're on a group of guys for 162 games. I like your chances of winning when you do have that good karma and those good vibes going. That's what I was referencing a few minutes ago. You want to tell me it was 2020, nobody in the stands, Yankees couldn't feed off that? Who knows? They had a down, lousy, regular season. 60 games, so you didn't know what to make of it. This team really hasn't hit yet, but you know what I've noticed? A guy like Odor has been a real welcome breath of fresh air. Because you could tell he's giving guys shit, he's clowning around, he's playing with energy, he's playing with passion. I think he's been a very under-the-radar type of acquisition, if that makes sense. He's helped this team in more ways than one. I mean, you look at his batting average, you're like, eh, it's not so great. He's got a couple home runs, he's adequate at second base. I think his presence has meant a lot to this team. Last but not least, who we got? Hey, JJ, it's Toronto, Long Island. Thanks for taking the call. Obviously, a loaded sports weekend. I'll be brief on this. Just for the Islanders, I was at the game on Saturday in the afternoon. Complete madhouse in the Coliseum. And after waiting for a few long years, we finally saw that Coliseum environment completely rattle a team. The Penguins looked shook. The Penguins looked scared. And the Islanders team is a very desperate team at the time, but they are very dangerous when they're desperate. So looking at the puck line for Monday, expected to be a uh, Penguins route if you look at it, but Hopefully, Game 5 goes pretty well. If it doesn't, come back for Game 6 in another desperate state. But uh just want to shout out to the Islanders, particularly Sorokin, and also Barlamov on the bench there. You know, he's been magic this year. The Islanders are not sniff the playoffs without him. So I uh, want to give him credit, too. It's tough to see him on the bench. But let's go Sorokin, let's go Islanders, and uh, keep the train rolling, baby. Take care. Very important that the Islanders made that goaltender change. We talked about that after Game 3. They made the change. They put together a dominant effort on Saturday. And now you look at Monday. Pittsburgh's minus 140 on the money line. That tells me the Islanders are a live dog in the game. 
See, if I saw Pittsburgh at like minus 200 or minus 220, I would not like the Islanders' chances. Seeing them only at plus 120 and Pittsburgh's at minus 140, last look, now that could change as we get closer and closer to puck drop. I think the Islanders are alive. They're a physical team. They rallied from what was a tough game three loss with a dominant game four, made the goaltender change, and it worked. I picked them to win this series. I'm sticking with it. I think they find a way to get it done. Coming up next, we'll not only set the stage for the rest of these NBA playoff first round series and a couple of prices you should be invested in. My colleague, my friend, Maria Marina from SNY. Usually we're spending time shooting the shit on television. She'll make her New York, New York debut coming up next. So I figured with the first weekend of the NBA playoffs now in the books, perfect time to welcome in one of my all-time favorite people, one of my colleagues, co-workers, friends. I, I, I think all apply, Maria Marino. Welcome to New York, New York. How are you? Oh, I am fantastic. I'm on New York, New York. I know. You made the big time. What can I say? From SNY to this podcast, you've made the big time, my lady. I have. I am on with the guy who's on the billboard near Madison Square Garden. And you know what? You're right. It's all of the above. You're a friend, and it's my pleasure to be on with you. Um, first weekend of the NBA playoffs. Did not disappoint. <laughs> did Fair not. Fair say. They did not disappoint. Did not disappoint. And obviously, we're coming fresh off this game one, uh, Knicks-Hawks. Uh, and it was a great game. Like, what can I say? It's obviously not the way uh, New York fans wanted it to go, but still a great game. Couldn't really well, I feel like I got my heart ripped out if we're being fair, Maria. I, I mean, know. that's basically how this game felt. You know, it was back and forth. It's all sorts of swings. Thinking it's going to be the Alec Burks game. And then you see Trey Young go through two defenders, silence the garden crowd, and basically walk it off. Ooh, disgusting. Well, here's the problem. Trey Young lives for these moments. And you heard him after the game. He likes hearing those chants. And this is why... Sometimes, you know, people might not understand this, but let me explain. Sometimes home court is not an advantage. And I'll tell you why. You have a Knicks franchise that hasn't been in the playoffs for seven, eight years. You have 15,000 strong at the Garden for the first time all year. You have the weight of the world on your shoulders, and you got to go out there in front of your home court fans and try to deliver for them, finally. And I said this from the very beginning. I see these Knicks coming out. They're cold. Julius Randle, you could see from the start, his body language. He was a little bit uh, maybe nervous. I don't know. I just feel like he was feeling that pressure of having to perform in front of that home crowd and wanting so badly to deliver to these fans who have been salivating over this. And so sometimes it's kind of hard to go out there and and do that. Uh, Whereas when you're on the road, it's like, all right, you don't, you don't feel that. You don't feel your, your fans on top of you like that. And he hasn't played in front of fans like this all year. Now he's been playing like an MVP all year. And so I'm not going to put all of this on him. Obviously it wasn't his night. Still did a lot of good things. Didn't like play awful, but obviously did not have a good shooting. He's got to be a lot better, Maria. If they're going to win this series, Randall cannot give you six more games like this or the Knicks have absolutely no shot. But I think you hit on something that's kind of cool. It's not cool if you're a Knicks fan, but it's cool if you're an opposing player. Madison Square Garden was the loudest I've heard it, I think, in like 20-plus years. Even though it was 75% capacity, the place was was a madhouse. And if you're a fierce competitor, if you're a badass, Jordan, LeBron, 
Reggie Miller, not that Trey Young is of that ilk. He's a really good player. He's not some all-time great. But if you have that sort of assassin-like quality to you, you right. absolutely can feed off that Gordon crowd and use it to your advantage. And Trey Young is an elite scorer in this league. Might not be up there with some of those names that you mentioned, but he lives for this. He feeds off those chants. Some players do the opposite. They hear those chants and they clam up. He is not that guy. So he goes up there and he is using that floater all night long and he's putting up 32 points. This is not, this is not phase him. Now, as far as Randall is concerned, yes, you didn't have the scoring output from him, but you didn't expect to get 27 from Alec Burks either. So it's sort of evens out in that sense. You have two somewhat evenly matched teams, a couple of well-coached teams. And I have a couple other issues. Speaking of that, you know, Tom Thibodeau has been fantastic. He's a coach of the year candidate, obviously. Final possession, didn't love it. I'm not sure what went wrong there. Um, and then my other issue is I understand Frank Milikina is a good defender. How can you put him in at the end of the game when he has been riding that bench all night long and he is cold as ice going into that game? And, and it's not just anybody he's, he's trying to guard there. You're trying to guard, once again, Trey Young, who is an elite scorer and who is doing very well and, who, again, having his way. I don't agree with putting him in in that moment. You're setting him up to fail. I get that, Maria. We've seen him do it, though, throughout the regular season. That's the one thing with Tibbs. He this has done playoffs. this with Frank. Playoffs. It is different. It is the playoffs. At the same time, though, can they make Young go to his weekend, for goodness sakes? I mean, how many times do I got to see Trey Young go with his strong side, strong hand, and blow by the Nick defender? You give me the guy. I don't know if you noticed this watching it. Clyde was all over it. That's something that's got to change going to the later games of this series. Absolutely, but I just look at that box score, and I have a hard time seeing under minutes, it says Frank Nilakina, one minute, one minute in the most crucial minute of the entire game. Let's put him in. I, I don't know. I just didn't. But if he gets a defensive stop there, though, Maria, you look like a genius. It, uh, That's the thing. But it's still you a do. tall task. You had a guy who had 30 points at that point, JJ. Come on. Yeah, but, I mean, look, it didn't matter. It Let's be honest, though, Maria. Who they, whoever they put on Trey Young, it didn't make much of a difference throughout this game. He was toasting him. He was oh, cooking. Oh, listen, it's it's a it's a minute detail. It's not it's not the the end all be all. It's not the deciding factor of this game. It's just something that I noticed as a casual observer. So um, I like that term, by the way, casual <laughs> observer. I think I might have to use that a little bit more um, as we now move forward in this series. Yeah. If the Knicks are going to win, if they're going to take down the Atlanta Hawks. Is there one particular X factor you're looking at? I'm not even going to say Randall because they can't well, win if well, Randall's going to play like crap. Uh, I, I think it's neutralizing Young. He cannot go off like he did here in game one. Knicks are not winning this series if that's the case. Absolutely. I mean, you you made your bed all season long on defense. You've been one of the top defensive teams in the NBA. You need to make that your thing. You're going to win games by dialing on, in on defense, and it starts with Trey Young. Let somebody else beat you, but get Trey Young and, and neutralize him a little bit. And then maybe you have a chance. And then also your defense is going to feed into your offense. So somebody like Julius Randle, for example, he's going to get his confidence if he is doing well on the defensive end, if they're getting stopped uh, and all of that. So it all feeds in. But as far as Randle goes, again, this is not an X factor type thing, but he needs to get his swagger back. He needs to get his confidence back. Let's not forget, he has never been in a playoffs. He has never been in a playoffs. 
this is uh, a new thing for him, being the star, being the MVP of a team. This is a lot to ask. And I'm not saying he's not up for the, the challenge. I think he is. He's just got to get out there next game and kind of forget about this. Unfortunately, Knicks fans are going to be stewing over this until the next game, and that sucks, and he's going to be stewing over it too. But you know what we say? We say next game. Get out there next game and get it. You anchor television here in New York City, <laughs> sports side, for anybody who's wondering who Maria Marino may be and what <laughs> she brings to the table. We work together all the time. Maria has been one to be ahead of the curve with the Brooklyn Nets. You were giving the Nets a little bit of love before they even ended up with KD, before they even ended up with Kyrie Irving. I think from a fan standpoint, they still haven't cut into the overall niche of the city and heart of the city that is the New York Knickerbockers. But... Would you say, Maria, there's been a change from when you started doing television in New York to now uh, in regards to, you know, not just the perception around the franchise. Obviously, it's a heck of a lot better. Mm. But like the fan base, do you think it's more dynamic, more vocal? Yes or no? I appreciate the credit, first of all, JJ. But let's let's be real. I mean, the way that the Nets got to this point, it's not this season for me for the Nets. It's two seasons ago. It's that first year that they made the playoffs when they were a sixth seed when they had Kenny Atkinson and you had some of those guys, uh, D'Angelo Russell was actually the only lottery pick they had on the team at that time. And they were ahead of schedule as far as their rebuild is concerned. I mean, they had to recover from a, that god-awful trade with Boston, but they did it. They got back to the playoffs and they did build it the right way. Now, obviously, you got to somewhat sell your soul to get uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and now James Harden. So now all of a sudden they're the big bad Nets. So I think for that reason, you have a lot of fans around the city, especially Knicks fans, who are a little salty about that and like to make them out as those villains. And that's I'm fine. I'm raising my hand. I that's know, me. but, but right JJ, now. that's fine. But a couple of years ago, they were where the Knicks are right this very I moment. agree with that. That's fair. So this is, that's kind of what you get. And look, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of like, of, of, of doing that, of, say, trading for a James Harden when you have homegrown guys like Jarrett Allen and Karis LeVert that are budding stars, but it's a risk that you kind of have to take. And so, look, in free agency, when you got KD and Kyrie come calling, you can't really you can't really say no. Even no, though you have to sign them. You yeah, have to bring it's, them it's, in. It's, it's a no-brainer. Exactly. Because, no so, Maria, it's a star's league. If you want to yes. win in the NBA, you have to have star players. Case closed. It, exactly. And because of that, now they got a chance to do something real. And now they got a chance to put up or shut up and get a championship or more. And so I do think that this narrative about who the city belongs to, I think that is somewhat of an overhyped narrative. I don't care because what, what it comes down to is winning. So yeah, we know it's a Knicks town. We know the illustrious history, or should I say lack thereof, at least in the last 20 years. Uh, but we know that, um, that the Knicks fandom goes deep it runs deep in this town but that but that's okay and and I don't think that the the Nets really care about that and I don't think it really matters at the end of the day I think if, if they start winning consistently and if they bring home a chip or two um you're gonna see more and more fans that are interested and I gotta tell you like it, for me the way that they built it, and I'm talking prior to prior to that free agency period, um, that is what got my respect. And I think Sean Marks is doing a phenomenal job. Out of Horton, KD, Kyrie, whose game you like the most? Well, for me, it's an easy call. It's Durant. For, 
I it, think he's got the prettiest. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. In general, I no. I I'm talking about their game. I'm okay, about but their in game. general, I think you're right. But I think for the Nets, I think it's Harden. Well, Harden's for, been a game changer. I think that's, as far as true. I think as far as value for this Nets squad and the pieces that they have with Durant, with Irving, you need somebody who's able to facilitate and who's able who has the, the IQ and the wherewithal to fit different roles and do whatever is needed. And it's interesting. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect that Harden was going to be like the most likable net this year, but he has put his head down. He has gotten to work. He has um, stepped into that point guard role and he's, he was fantastic. And even without Durant playing, I think uh, for those like 23 or so games that Durant was out, Harden and company went 19 and four. So he is by far the most valuable, in my opinion. And that's not to take away from, first of all, Durant, when he's been healthy, has looked great. I mean, I know that was a fear of, of, of fans. Like, how was he going to look coming off an Achilles and not playing in so long? But he's looked great. Kyrie is Kyrie. He's able to score at will. He's going to have the flashy handles. He's going to wow you and get 50, 40, 90 and all that. So, you know, um, but it, but for me, it's it's hardened for the Nets. Obviously, overall, Durant is uh, one of the best scorers of all time, and then the the playoff resume and all that. I can see you giving the nod to him. All right, let's get it on record. Two questions, <laughs> oh, real quick. Will the Knicks win this first round series, and will the Brooklyn Nets win an <sighs> NBA title? I'm putting you on the spot for both. Okay, Knicks put- win this series. Nets win a title this year. You're putting me on the spot for sure. Um, and obviously, we have one game in the book, so it's a little different than than uh, giving it. You would think you have series. a leg up. I mean, if you're picking it, I know. You got a leg up. I know, but I'm. But what I'm saying is, I already told you about home court advantage is uh, could sometimes be a detriment um, just because of all the pressure. But uh, they've already they've already shown that. I mean, they lost game one. I'm sorry, like that advantage is is now gone. Um, and so I think I'm going Hawks. I'm sorry. I love, I love Tibbs. I love what he's done all year. Nate McMillan is right there with him. He has been coaching the hell out of these Hawks. Um, Trey Young's ready for the moment. Um, unfortunately, and this is maybe this is a, a little bit of recency bias. I'm coming off, you know, Hawks won game one. I'm sorry. Uh, and then as far as the Nets, are they winning a chip? Um, I think so. I think so because. They don't have the Lakers to worry about. I don't think the Lakers are going all the way. Um, and then the other the other couple of teams, like in the West, you look at, say, like the Suns or the Jazz, like that would be a massive, massive leap to go from not making the playoffs or making the playoffs at a lower seed and then suddenly winning a championship. Whereas the Nets, they've got these stars um, that have all been there. You know, mine, mine's Harden. He hasn't won. He hasn't gone all the way. But with the help of those other two, I think, yes. And this is the first time I've said this on the record, JJ. So How you about really that? Are putting you me come on the, spot. on the podcast, you start taking names and kicking ass. That's my girl, seat. Maria Marino, making name for herself. Maybe I'm going <laughs> to see the billboard of you before you know it. Thanks for joining us, okay? All right. Thanks for having me, and I'll be back soon. I know you will. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> Open invite. Just saying. Thanks, Maria. All right. Thanks, JJ. Later. Good stuff for Maria Marino, who brought the energy and brought the feistiness today. She wanted to. Go at me a little bit, which I like. I, I like when people try to go at me. It's fun. Uh, I think it makes for a compelling theater. It's what we do on television all the time. Maria, one of my favorite people, and she loves basketball, by the way. I mean, she is a hoops junkie through and through. 
And she was kind of singing the praises of Brooklyn before anybody else, quite frankly, was singing the praises of Brooklyn. So I give her a ton of credit, not only because she's one of my good friends and I like her a lot, but because she was, you know, ahead of the curve on that. I give credit where credit is due. Now, I am already invested in Portland, as you know. Feel good about that after their dominant game one win. And I don't see how Denver has the court play to match up with Dame and CJ McCollum. And even my dude Carmelo contributing in the first and the second quarter. You love to see that. The two series, though, that I am not invested in, that I'm about to get invested in, the two LA teams. The Lakers, after a game one loss, and I don't have a serious price on them right now because of the uncertainty with Chris Paul. And I think that's why you might not get as much value as you normally would. For example, if we knew Chris Paul was 100% right going into game two, the Lakers would go from being, I don't know, a 160, 170 favorite to probably a minus 120 favorite. If Paul is compromised, they may not move that line. If they do, friendly advice, pounce, and I mean pounce on the Los Angeles Lakers. They're not losing this series. Here's another one I have my eye on. Clippers and Mavericks. I know Luka was off the charts in game one. I know the Clippers' MO is that they're a very soft team. The Clippers are not losing this series. I just find it impossible to believe that they're going to lose this series to Dallas. Dallas has been an average team basically all year. And you're telling me Luka's going to win it by himself? He can. I'm going to bet against that, though. I see the Clippers at minus 155. I am all over that. I was not laying. I talked about this on Thursday's pod. I was not laying 400, 500 on the Clippers. I don't trust any team to lay a minus 400, 500. I will lay 160 because that's not going to cost me as much. And I'll gladly take the chances that a team that has Kawhi Leonard and Paul George is going to find a way to get out of the first round. So I'll lay 155, 160, depending on where you get it. FanDuel has it over at 155 for those of you keeping score at home. And I am on both LA teams now to win the series. So you can hop on with those two. I'm already invested with the Knicks. They got some work to do. I took the under for games, by the way, in the Philadelphia-Washington series. So Rudy, how do you feel about that, by the way? I'll let you be the judge of that bet because I think the other ones are pretty straightforward. I took under five and a half games for the Wizards and the Sixers. I don't see that series going more than five games. Would you feel good about that? Yeah, you know, I don't know if I have a super strong lean on that, but I will say the Wizards played well in game one. They stuck around in that game pretty well. They play hard. They play hard. I'll give you that. They play hard. And, you know, I don't know if I trust Philly yet. I know they're the one seed, and I know they've had a great season, but I still have, you know, kind of the past couple years of playoff failure stuck in my mind, and I can't get that out of my head. So I don't know. I'm going to have to probably see it before I believe it with the Sixers. Remember, though, Washington, a lot of games over the last couple weeks. True. Had to fight like crazy to get into the playoffs, had to play two games in the play-in, losing to the Celtics, then winning against Indiana, and now having to go through this series. And it's tough for Westbrook because he's going to get bodied in this series. They're going to throw a lot of different dudes at him. A lot of different dudes. Been known to have a late-game meltdown or two and not make the right decision and take a bunch of bad shots. So you might be onto something there. Well, listen, that is that is Paul for the course of Russell Westbrook. So, yeah, I'm on that under six or five and a half. Add the Lakers. Add the Clippers. And let's root like crazy for the Knicks and hope that Portland keeps on keeping on. That's that's the idea. Now, Jeff Money is on the horn. I know Jeff Money had the Nets 
he got lucky. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, Jeff Money. So what do you got for Monday? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here, Handicapper Picks. Now, I got two plays for Monday the 24th and one play on Tuesday, an NBA game for the 25th. We'll start it out for Monday tomorrow, the 24th. I like two games. Started out Major League Baseball money play. I like the Baltimore Orioles minus the 105 versus the Twins versus Means versus Shoemaker. Now, Means is 3-0 and this year on the road with a point. 66 ERA versus Shoemaker, who's 0-4 with a 7.37 ERA at home. The Orioles are 11-11 on the road versus the Twinkies are 8-15 at home. So game number one for Monday, money play, we're going to take the uh, Baltimore Orioles minus the 105. Game number two, NBA. I like the Denver Nuggets uh, minus the 1.5 over the Blazers. The revenge factor versus opponents this year, they're 9-2 against the spread. I think they took that scare. They lost that first game. I think they're going to pick it up in game number two to tie up that series. Now, the next game for the 25th on Tuesday, I like the the Brooklyn Nets minus the nine and a half over the Celtics. Now, we, the, the Nets did cover all their games so far this year versus the Celtics, but they did caught a big scare in that game. I think I feel blowout in that game. So, again, three plays. On Monday, I'm going with the Baltimore Orioles. My money play minus the 105. And the NBA, we're taking the Denver Nuggets minus the one and a half. And on Tuesday in the NBA, we're going to take the Brooklyn Nets minus the nine and a half. Oh, all right, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Money, money, money. The old meatloaf song. Two out of three ain't bad. I'm riding with you on two out of three. I like the Orioles against the Twins. The Twins have been god-awful. And John Meade's been an all-star. He is pitching his ass off for the Baltimore Orioles, so I have no problem with that bet. And I'm riding with you in the Nets in game two. I will absolutely play the Nets in game two. I think the Celtics, in many ways, gave them their best shot, even though Tatum was off his game. I just get the sense you'll get a far more dialed-in Brooklyn team. Remember, Saturday, they were dealing with a long layoff. Now you got Brooklyn playing Saturday, Tuesday. I think that will work to their advantage. I think they'll be sharp. That line went from 8.5 to 9.5. I think that's a double-digit net win. Where we disagree, though, I don't like Denver. I think all you need to know about Denver and Portland is that in a game that is an absolute must for the Nuggets, at home, down 0-1, they're only a a 1.5 home point favorite against Portland. That's it. I think Portland's beating them again. If that line were 5 or 6, I think the line in many ways can tell the story. That line being as low as it is, I think it kind of tells you what the odd makers think of the Nuggets right now. They're cooked. It's not their fault. They've had a ton of injuries, including Jamal Murray. I'm heads up with you on that game. I'm taking Portland. Now, I know I'm invested in the series, but I think Portland's winning that game. I think it's going to be a quick series. I do not think that series will go six or seven. How about that? I wish I had Portland in four or five. That would have paid out nice. But listen, let's not get greedy. Let's just win the series. So, two out of three ain't bad, Jeff Money. Two out of three. Now, what do we have lined up for the week? Tuesday and Thursday, Paul for the course. Normal podcast. Wednesday and Friday, live post-game shows right after Knicks and Hawks. Download the Locker Room app. Follow me on Twitter. I'm going to tweet them out. And you can join the show. You can participate and shoot the shit with me on the show, live. If you're good, I'll keep you. If you're bad, you're getting cut. It's like the old days, like I'm doing radio. Locker room, Wednesday, Friday. Download the app. I will tweet it out on my wonderful Twitter page. Locker room app, 
Wednesday and Friday after game two and after game three. And if you're wondering how to get in touch with the show, 917-382-1151. We're back on Tuesday night. I'm going to be over the Nick game by then. In the meantime, I'm going to bask in the glory of the Yankees and Phil Mickelson. And maybe I'll hit it like Phil on the golf course. Doubtful. Highly, highly doubtful. Gorks, Saridi, JJ out. Be good, everybody. <laughs>